Good morning from Honolulu, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending on your time zone. And from a not adjacent, but near enough time zone, I am joined by Jason Nelson. I'm Ryan Ozawa, the emerging tech editor at Decrypt. And Jason and I, and Jose, the camera shy, uh, is uh, the team that looks at emerging technologies of all kinds, biohacking, longevity, space, quantum computing, things that we don't understand, and artificial intelligence, which we also don't understand, but everybody is using, so we better get a handle on it. Uh, how are you doing, Jason? I'm great. Um, and it's interesting. We're actually doing a story right now about ChatGPT going nuts over the last few days. <laughs> right, right. There's some pretty weird things coming out of it, and I, I can't wait to see people discovering web pages and, you know, uh, school assignments that have these blurbs in them that just sort of like it had a brief stroke it's it's pretty cool but that one you'll have to go to decrypt.co slash emerge to read in about a couple of hours but uh what 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 happened this week in ai what did what do you want to cover here to bring everyone up to speed well we have a couple of stories that came out um that we did and they pretty much play off of each other so we had a uh, uh, last month, I believe it was, uh, a group in Texas released a robocall AI generated of President Joe Biden. Yeah, yep. telling people don't participate in the New Hampshire primary. So, following that, the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, uh, basically said using AI generated voices in robocalls is now illegal, and that has far-reaching implications because campaigns want to use AI to be able to streamline their interaction with um, their constituents, which rolls into a article we did this morning uh, with an Ohio candidate, uh, Matthew Dimer, who is partnering with a company called, uh, what's it called? Uh, Civox, C-I-V-O-X, Civox, to basically make an AI-generated version of him that will reach out to people on his mailing list. They can speak to it. It will use generative AI to produce responses to them. And then if they want to go deeper, it gives them a way to contact Matthew. What I think is interesting about this is to get around the whole, we didn't know this was a robocall, or we didn't know this was AI, or we didn't know, or this is deceptive, is when the call goes out, it tells you first you are interacting with an artificial intelligence, as opposed to just saying, hi, this is Matt, you know, how can I help you today? You know, that, that kind of thing, like how a lot of customer service AIs do now, where the AI, it's obviously an AI because you can kind of get the vibe that it's not really a person, at least right now. Uh, but it doesn't especially tell you that it's an AI and in all cases. Whereas this tells you up front, you're dealing with an AI. This is not a person. Civic's CEO actually pointed that out, that as a rule, they don't allow their customers to imitate our, our, our say that this AI is a person, right? You have to disclose that it's an AI or they won't work with you, which I think is a great ethical stance to take. And hopefully that becomes something that's standard across the board. 
Well, it is interesting on a number of levels. First of all, the question is whether we put into place regulations about using AI and politics that forbid even fully disclosed rational ethical uses of AI and in politics. Like we're saying, it's so dangerous, we don't even want you to play with this. And I think that it's correct when he goes, well, how is this different from using any other tool to reach out to somebody, to engage somebody? When you set up a Facebook page, you can set up frequently asked questions and you can have the chat message box on your Facebook page answer questions, even though you're not really answering those questions and things like that. So, you know, where are you drawing the line? Um, the fact that a robocall could come in that says, hi, I am an artificially intelligent, you know, version of Matthew Dimer, and I wanted to know if there's anything I can do for you as I run for election. Like, what is the reception rate of that? Because already robocalls probably get hung up on at a 90% rate. Right. Do people are, what I wanted to, what we can ask at some point is like, are people intrigued and like, okay, let's give this thing a shot. Let's see if I can stump AI Matthew Dimer, or right. if they're even less receptive to even having that disclosed on the call. But what I thought was interesting is that it's not a voice. It's not like the, the Biden example, right? Where they were like, hi, I'm Joe Biden and don't vote. Like that's direct impersonation. That's direct voter suppression. Um, it's being enlisted by the person who's running. Um, but uh, yeah, it, fascinating all the way around. Well, the other other part that I thought was interesting is that it comes at a time where deep fakes are just being it, it's gotten out of hand. I mean, we talked about it last time where Twitter disabled the ability to actually search for for Taylor Swift because deep fakes of her started, you know, flooding Twitter. So, you know, but this is strictly a voice um AI. So it's not an image of him. It's not like uh, a picture of him popping up and talking to you, like say on your computer or something. But it it's interesting that it's it's still trying to interact with you as him. Just telling you it's not him, but it's still trying to give you the same vibe as talking to him uh, like you would if it was actually Matthew on the phone. So that what and is it Matthew's voice or is it? I mean, did he give them like an eleven lab style sample to to replicate what he sounds like? Yeah. So they well first what they did was they gave him a questionnaire to fill out. Right. That, I remember that part. Like, I, and then they recorded his responses. So if you get this call, it's going to sound like him. You'll ask it your question. It will respond based on hopefully answers that he provided <laughs> in the in his questionnaire and then you could just interact with it that way uh i would imagine that if you go too hard at it, it it'll probably <laughs> start <laughs> kicking back some unexpected responses but you know on the surface it's basically ask me basic basic questions and if you want more details here's our number here's our email and things like that yeah, so can you can you ask it like for his favorite recipe for rhubarb pie? Like, well, I mean, it's generative AI. You can ask right. it. Will it give it a shot, or will it be like, <laughs> "I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that right now." Well, I'm, I'm sure it's more like uh, it, it won't go full howl on you, but it'll <laughs> it'll probably say, "Oh, would you like to uh, speak to a representative or something like that?" You know, kind of like a way a, a customer service AI does. You know. Well, we've had those customer service AIs agree to sell cars for a dollar and 
quote, uh, quote vacation packages that are very, very affordable. So I think you still want to be careful with that. But no, um, we should mention Matthew uh, Dimer was a podcast host here when we did a daily GM podcast. And we actually interviewed him maybe two years ago when he was using crypto or advocating crypto in his platform. So both uh, a friend of the organization, although before my time, I think, and also uh, someone who's clearly into emerging technology. All right, Jason, um, what's next? Well, we're going to stick with politics for one more story. And this one is Anthropic announced that political candidates' campaigns are not allowed to use Claude AI. And I thought that was an interesting stance to take because how would you know? Unless, unless they told you or approached you with it, because the responses, while different between Claude AI and ChatGPT, if they're generated in a way that at least appears human-like, you really can't tell what AI model you're using. Now, if it gives you like, I don't know, like what's the tell? that would tell me I'm using Claude versus ChatGPT if I'm just looking at words. I think a lot of people say it's the guardrails that are in place, the things that it'll refuse to do and how it does it. But you're right that you could ask both ChatGPT and uh, Claude AI to write an essay and it'll probably smell and feel 80% to 90% the same. The same, right? Now, what I think is, is the... What they're trying to do is stop the spread of misinformation before it starts. Because as we know in political ads, they tend to be filled with hyperbole, if not outright lies. So they're trying to make sure that their technology isn't aiding in that um, just thing. Again, how would you know, unless I told you I was using it, how would you know? You know, that that's where I think that is going to be a sticking point. Like it's more of a, if we find out, we might pursue something, but I don't know how you would stop a person from doing it outright. And the the joke that I frequently make is that in this day and age, every topic is political, really. Like you can't basically put a filter on a system that says don't accept politics because every conversation can be tied to a political ideology at this point and turned into an argument if you're, if you really want to try. Um, so I agree. And we've already determined, and I think uh, rightfully so through our coverage and through uh, experts declaring that, you know, at some point detecting artificial intelligence, artificially artificial intelligence generated content is going to be impossible, you know, unless it has a little stroke like it did last night. Um, in, in which case, I guess that will be the tell. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, in this article, we mentioned Meta also said, you know, using AI in your advertising is not allowed. But I think that control comes at the point where they need you to self-qualify your page or your business as related to politics, housing, and other areas where federal regulations come into play anyway. Right. So you already, you pre-select yourself into a box before you get that enforcement. So it's a great uh, way to make clear to people like Matthew Deemer, I guess, you know, steer clear, don't use our service, and he probably won't, uh, or Civox won't. Um, but I don't think that it's actually a block that'll have any meaning. It's almost like somebody's like Gmail saying, don't use our email to uh, trick people. Like, I'm sure it's in the terms of service, but people are going to use email to trick people. 
Right. Well, it's it's it. When I first heard it, I thought a lot. It sounded like when musicians tell a candidate, "Don't use my song." Well, they didn't come to you for the song. They went to your label for the song if they approached anyone at all. So it, it's like, OK, well, you're just, you know, you just don't like this candidate. But reading through the so Anthropic said political protections fall under three main categories, developing and enforcing policies related to election issues, evaluating and testing models against potential misuse and directing users to accurate voter information. So basically, you can't use this to lie to voters is is the end um, end of all of this whole whole thing. Don't don't use us to spread misinformation and lies, basically, is what it's saying. That's sort of what I think when people are passing laws that say you shouldn't use AI to impersonate somebody. It's not really AI that's the problem. It's the impersonation, right? Existing laws kind of cover that already, so uh, we might not necessarily need to create another 16 pages of law to put into the uh, books necessarily. Yeah. All right, well, I'm tired of politics. How about you? I'm very tired of it. I don't even watch commercials anymore. Oh. <laughs> so what's next, sir? Uh, well, Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin yeah. used AI as a tool to address the network's major technical issues which I think is a very interesting use case for AI because like from we talk about crypto, blockchain, smart contracts all the time. I, I've been in this space since 2016 and I still don't know how to do a smart contract. So, <laughs> you know, so if you ask me to edit one, I'd have no idea where to start. So what I think is what stands out as a good use for AI is an AI that's designed specifically to audit smart contracts and to see where there's any, maybe some security holes, maybe some bugs. Where can a hacker uh, get into the bridge that the smart contract uh, facilitates? Those kind of things. Those are great use cases, use cases for AI that are at the heart of the blockchain space, Web3. This should be something that, that everyone should be able to get behind. Well, what I was curious about, I mean, a lot of people are using uh, AI to do programming in general. So smart contracts probably seems pretty straightforward. Like if you can use AI to create code that runs and does what you want it to do, then great. Why not use it to audit or make sure that these bugs in smart contracts that can eventually be exploited for wallet drainers and things like that, you know, that's uh, that's great. But what I want to know is, can I also ask AI to create a smart contract that looks normal, but then could give me everyone's crypto uh, after 60 days, right? Like if it's good enough to help close security holes, isn't it good enough to create security holes? Well, we'll hope that no one who's up to that is listening to this right now because we just gave them a good idea. <laughs> but, They're out there already. Right. Sure. Well, I mean, if you, if we, Jose, our, our intrepid, intrepid AI deep diver, he, he scours the dark web for all these interesting things and we've already come across ai that are meant for miss for cyber attacks that are meant for um spreading malware for all these other things there's one we covered a while ago called chaos gpt which is basically that's all it's for right so it makes sense that that would be the case i would say on the other side is these blockchain companies need to be using AI to counter that. 
uh, I talked to a developer a few weeks ago, and he basically said they use AI to monitor when people aren't. So like, I can't stay up 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but my AI can monitor my network like that. And that's a good use for this, you know, because it, it, it should be the backbone of your security, not just your security. I mean, you, there should always be human eyes on, on all of these things because you never know when the system's going to fail. But it's a good backup system. In case you miss something, there's this thing in the background always running that catches it for you. And as quantum computing becomes a thing, they're going to get a right. lot faster. Well, quantum computing, they say, is going to untangle the mystery that is or the, you know, the, the hardware limitations or the processing limitations of Bitcoin and throw that into chaos too. So it could be an interesting time. Um, I was just, I actually, during, while you were talking, I was thinking, oh, well, you could give uh, an AI ML model examples of successful exploits to be able to help it identify successful exploits. But no, you're still teaching it how to make an exploit. Like there's still no, <laughs> there's still no way to get around that. Well, uh, you're well, we're yep. going to get the Terminator one way or the other. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can only turn the steering wheel so far. We're already down the path, but oh well. Sorry. Have, it'll be a fun ride. Uh, I do want to talk about Sora, the image generator, last. But uh, before we get to that, I think we should again return to your bread and butter, which is the intersection of artificial intelligence and the entertainment industry. And uh, we have uh, more legal machinations and the big lawsuit about writers basically saying, hey, they used uh, our books to help these language models write like us. That's copyright infringement. How's it going? Well, so far, it's not really going in the uh, writers and artists' favor. Um, a federal judge threw out a large chunk of the uh, case that was... Um, that included um, actress and author Sarah Silverman and a uh, Christopher Golden and a few other authors that were named in that case. But what's interesting is that what wasn't thrown out is that OpenAI more than likely used their work without permission. What was thrown out was all the stuff that the authors and their legal team couldn't prove OpenAI was doing. So you're telling me that OpenAI is basically spitting out your work, but you can't produce proof of it doing it. So that's not going to work. So that gets thrown out. Now, you know, if, if I go to ChatGPT right now and say, write a... Uh, article in the style of Ryan Ozawa, and I give it examples of your writing, it could probably do it if I give it the right prompts. It can. I know right. it can. It's frightening. <laughs> so, but if I say just out of the blue, with no former reference, no specific training, write a write an article like Ryan Ozawa, especially if it doesn't, if I don't have access to GBT4, it's not going to do that because it doesn't know who you are. So you have to provide proof that your stuff, your content was fed into the training model of this uh, model, uh, the training data of this model. And, and for the most part, the judge said that the plaintiffs haven't done that. Well, I think it, in the case of really well-known authors, uh, apart from the controls that they're put in place to prevent it, which again are not foolproof, um, 
like you could say, you could probably say, write me a novel in the style of Stephen King, and it'll be like, I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that. But if you say, write me a novel in the style of the most prolific horror writer of the 20th and 21st century, you know, it'll probably get there. I think right. what is fascinating is like even Sarah Silverman, I've actually read one of her books. I mean, it'll be, it is an interesting area because you can't get the model to spit out the source material that was used to train it because it's just a mathematical calculation of how words relate to each other in that text. Right. But on the other hand, you're going to get something back that you would say smells like Sarah Silverman's writing or, you know, uh, George R. R. Martin, or actually, and as we've seen, without any copyright concerns, Edgar Allan Poe, right? You can say, write a poem in the style of Edgar Allan Poe. And it's like, sure, I'll be happy to do that. He's dead long time ago, not going to sue us. We're good. But uh, a little less clear when you're dealing with current authors. And I think they're, I agree that technologically, the only way you're going to prove that your material was used to train these models, apart from proving its awareness that you exist, would have to be somebody inside saying, yeah, we we, we plugged in that, uh, that Kindle or that Amazon uh, book scanning service and put all of that stuff into our model. Right. Well, and then the other thing, issue that was raised was okay so say say someone did do that someone did admit that we trained our model on this um particular author's work there's no way to prove we took it out you know it, it, to to especially going back to your point about how what the data actually is it's just strings of code so Okay, say say I admit to it. Say I admit to I use Ryan Ozawa's last bestseller to train my model, right? Okay, well, how do I prove I took it out so I don't get sued again? You know, that, that was the other thing. It, it doesn't, there's no, a, a lot of what came down to this, a lot of this getting thrown out was how do you prove it? Right. And you can't prove it or you haven't proved it and, you know. Or the very likely technical answer, which is that it's impossible to remove it once it's in the mix. It's like saying, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't supposed to use uh, tangerine uh, rind in my uh, my cake recipe. Now, but now that I've baked the cake, you want me to remove it? Like, you're not, it's not possible. It's already blended in there. So, yeah. But we're going to keep an eye on this case and related cases because certainly as writers, it's of interest to us. Enough of my writing is on the internet that I can definitely get a large language model to impersonate my writing, but even an AI version of my writing is much happier and more optimistic about life than I am in reality. So I think hopefully people would be able to know that's not really me. <laughs> well, my my AI usually says when referencing me, just go ask Ryan Ozawa. <laughs> no, no. Right, let's get to Sora. This is the fun one, I think. Just because, again, it's uh, image generation, which I think is what, like last year was chat GPT and chat bots. And right. I think that this year is going to be everything that I can do from video to photos. But uh, this uh, text to video from OpenAI is pretty impressive. Did you, were you a chance to play with Sora? Sora is not open to the public yet. Oh no, we're not it cool. Is, it is still being red teamed by OpenAI for bugs and other issues. Uh, this is another great one by Jose. Shout out to our our great Jose. Uh, what what I thought was interesting was that it only has been a year since video models were out. Like the one that really stuck out to me was Runway, um, and even then, it was kind of 
I don't want to say grainy, but it 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 just looked fake, right? I guess that's the best way I could put it. It didn't it didn't it wasn't clear. It looked like really like I don't want to say bad animation, but like low quality animation, I guess. But this stuff, some of these photos look real. Like I saw one, it was two dogs podcasting on top of a mountain. I saw that. Right. <laughs> and the wind was blowing against their fur. I mean, it was that much detail to it. There was another one where um that one, the dog chronicles. Okay, if you didn't if you didn't tell me that that was AI, I would assume that was real. That looks real. Right? Look out look out shadows. Yep. Movement of the tail. I mean, of course, it's only doing like a seven second video clip, so not long enough probably for the for the dog to sprout an extra leg, but still pretty right. impressive. There was another one that it was of an old uh, old West California mining town. And this one even produced the color scheme of what video would have looked like in the 1800s. So it wasn't just, here's an old west town. No, we're going to make this thing look like an old west town with the color scheme of a camera from that time period. Now, of course, you have instances like this where the camera is sticking into the, the stuff he's like is running through the dog, which probably isn't a good idea. <laughs> not, a, not a recommended mounting technique. Not no, how not... you want to mount your, your selfie sticks, people. But other than that, the ocean's there, the the dog is having dog movements here's this one of this cat um see if you can go to the next one uh i think that is where you'll see most of this being used in say like a scenic um scenic views right right. because most most of these things unless you're going to put people walking around most of this will never move so you don't really have to, you know, worry about, oh, well, you know, this person has four arms. This person has right. you know, that kind of thing. It's just buildings. But still, the quality is very, well, like, look at this. The It's a construction site. And aside from just the way that the forklift is moving, which is kind of weird, it looks pretty. It looks fairly real. Yeah, I think what I what I I was excited about this in the sense that I know many young filmmakers, and by young I mean six to seven years old. That's young, um, and they have these ideas in their head, and they're like, "Oh, so I want to make this movie," and then like, so the moon is going to come really close to Earth, and it's going to start sucking us up into the moon, and then we're going to battle it by creating this giant magnet, and it's going to suck everything down. Like their imaginations have no bounds, but certainly their special effects budget has a bound. Um, <laughs> But now, I mean, within, I mean, if we're talking about these seven second clips, you can already kind of do cut, cut shots and basically generate a movie using these pieces and it'll depict the wildest thing you could imagine. I mean, the, the, the fear that this will replace filmmakers, I don't think is true because just like when we're seeing on the text-based writing side, it's still the matter of being able to come up with a good prompt that generates the results that you want. But on the other hand, you now have access to the tools to render this stuff. You don't have to be, you don't have to have a budget of ILM, International, uh, Industrial Light and Magic to make all of this happen. I, I think it's spectacular. The only problem is that just like the text-based ones, when you go from one scene to the next, it can't 
perfectly replicate what you did the last time. So it's like you you want to do the story of a dog who's uh, lost in a underwater paradise, but every seven seconds the dog changes its look a little bit and gets an extra spot or something like that's still the problem. Right. Well, and then you also have the issue of deep fakes that come back because even if I don't have a face to face view of something, I can someone could potentially use this to create a scene that didn't happen. And I think that's why OpenAI still hasn't released it to the public is because they're trying to avoid people doing that. Because as we saw how realistic this does look, and most of us view the world through our phones now, so we're not really you know, scrutinizing the images we see like we should. People could create all kinds of... Mayhem. Well... Mayhem. Uh, it wasn't even necessary. I think it was AI, but it was just purely a photo. But like the, ex the a fake explosion at the Pentagon, right? right? Like it does. It would take someone eight seconds to do that with this tool, and not just and not just give us a nice still picture of a of a terrorist attack at the Pentagon, but actually depict it. And you might say to yourself, "Oh, well, if, if they make it photorealistic, you'll know that it's not real because there was no way there was a camera in that position." No, you can tell the AI to make it look like it's from CCTV from a black and white camera attached to a parking gate, like exactly what we saw in the real uh, attack. So yeah. yeah, there might be a good reason to keep this from um, miscreants like you and me, Jason. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, one time. Um, <laughs> the, uh, but we have uh, to talk about that. Statute of limitations. Of <laughs> it, But it does go to show you how quickly, and I mean, we've, we've written about it a few times where this stuff is being compare it to an arms race, you know, like you create a large language model. I create a video model. Someone else creates an audio model. Someone else creates one you can plug into a robot body. I mean, it's just going to keep progressing because not only is it about who has the best technology, it's who's going to have the largest market share. And once you get into that conversation, it's just not going to stop. And, you know, so we'll, yeah. we'll just have to see and then you have the uh, total hackers like Jose here at Decrypt who runs all of this stuff on his computer at home. And even after OpenAI tries to close the barn door, well, the horse is already on his computer. Like, you know, right. uh, it's terrifying. It's terrifying, Jason. And that's why we focus on this stuff, because we don't need to sleep. We're here to bring the news to people. Uh, and also, we want to be nice with our uh, robot overlords when they finally show up. <laughs> oh, we totally love them. They're like the best. They're the best entities one could ever have as an overlord yes. tell chat gpt thank you every time you use it <laughs> yeah, do not yell do not yell at siri all right do not. well we've burned yet another otherwise potentially productive half an hour here on decrypting ai our uh now video and audio podcast so now if you're an audio listener you're like what are you people talking about these dogs and shadows and selfie sticks but you can look for it on uh i think oh yeah it'll be on twitter and linkedin and i think jason you also upload it to uh youtube so if you missed the visuals they still exist but thank you for listening to uh two nerds on uh, different parts of the Pacific Ocean talk about artificial intelligence. We will get to other emerging technology when AI stops being interesting. So you can you can probably pencil that in for 2036. I'm Ryan Rosala. Jason, take it away. Where can people look us up? All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us again on Decrypting AI. If you'd like to read more of our work and see what's going on in the world of artificial intelligence and emerging technology, you can go to decrypt.co. 
Fantastic. Aloha, everybody.